Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Than Macros Radio. I'm your host, Coach B. Let's talk about how I can help you figure your shit out when it comes to all the BS and the trends in the nutrition and fitness industry. I am a nutrition coach that understands the hurdles that women face every day, as I too am a wife and a mother, which is why a sustainable lifestyle can't just consist of tracking your macros. Join me each week as I, or sometimes we, talk about everything from health, wellness, nutrition, mindset, body, and fitness. The goal of this podcast is to have you think more about your habits and behaviors, your relationship with food, and for you to get really curious about where you are right now and where you want to be. If you've been struggling with your health and wellness and achieving your goals, you cannot afford to miss out on this podcast. Thanks for listening. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to More Than Macros Radio. I'm your host, Coach B, and I'm excited to have with me once again. I think this is three times. Two. Because you were two, maybe two. I can't remember, but I'm here with Karen. Do we call you Doctor? Uh, you can. <laughs> Doctor Karen. I don't encourage it. <laughs> um, Karen Norton. Now, Karen is a PhD. She's a behavior change expert. But before I like get into who she is. Um, I'm going to let her obviously um, tell her story and where she, you know, who she is and, and all that kind of stuff. But I did want to say this before you get started. I worked with uh, Karen in 2021. She was my, my mentor and I still consider you a mentor because I constantly, you know, I'm always reading your stuff and, and, and that kind of thing. But I still want to put this out there because it was one of the best decisions I've made. It really, really helped me evolve. And I'll be honest, like I thought there were other things that I needed after the fact working with you because of business, but I was wrong. And I just wanted to say that because I value so much what you did for me. You absolutely had me move the in the direction I wanted to by simply allowing myself to dig into who I was and the behaviors that I actually had, you know, like I participated in or yeah. decided on every single day of my life. So I just want to put that the, out there. So anyways, more about you. Tell me more. Tell us more. That's so sweet. So thank you. Thank you for that. I You're think welcome. so much of business is just behavior and we want to make it complicated and get into, you know, SEO and funnels and blah, 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 this and that and engagement. And it's like, well, what are you doing? What do you wake up in the morning and work on? Let's start there. Yeah. Um, and that is, that is what I do essentially. So my name is Dr. Karin Nordine. I am a behavior change expert, like Brandy said, and my story is essentially this. So I spent the majority of my life pursuing self-change and pursuing self-help from a place of self-hate. So I was very much in this mindset of like, I need to fix myself. I'm not tidy enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm not X enough. Like you name it, I was not enough. And I, for a very, very long time, was trying to change these things about my life that I knew would make me happier and healthier and more fulfilled, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't change my own behavior. And so I read all the self-help books and I paid for courses and eBooks and workbooks and you name it, I bought it and none of it helped. And so I actually landed sort of by accident in a PhD program focusing on health communication. I was originally going to study domestic violence and like behavior, bystander behavior around domestic violence. But when I got in the program, I realized that so much of what I was learning in class was the real science behind self-help. And for some reason in those 150 books, 
maybe two of them had had content that was actually based in the science. And so I kind of pivoted during my PhD and I really focused on mindset and self-efficacy and motivation. So what makes us as humans be in the right mindset to pursue certain things, what makes us hold on in the face of obstacles, and then eventually ended up starting a business that helps people who have been through self-help and have been stuck essentially um, get unstuck and pursue compassion first change. And that is where we're going to lead into that first question, because I want to understand that a little bit more because it's in your bio. So like, and you, this is what you wrote. I'm on a mission to bring a compassion first change psychology to 1 million people. That's a big number first and foremost. <laughs> and I, I am so excited for you. What does that mean by compassion first change? Like you kind of talked, but like, what is it all? Like, what does this mean? Cause if I were just the layman person reading that, I'd be like, Hmm, what does that mean? Yeah. To be nicer to myself. Yes. So compassion first change means changing yourself out of love for who you want to be, not out of hate for who you are right now. So it is the difference between running towards a finish line and running away from a tiger. And you're going to have a very different experience running based on which one of those things that you're doing. So I see people all the time who are so focused on what they want to get away from. I don't want to act like this. I don't want to have this habit. I'm sick of my life being like this. That is not compassion first change. Compassion first change is identifying what do I want? Where am I going? And one of the foundational pieces of compassion is awareness and understanding. So it is a pursuit of who we want to be that is based in really, really high awareness of who am I right now? What is making my behavior this way? And kind of taking that frustration and that hate and replacing it with curiosity, interest, exploration, and fun. What kind of framework do you work with that though? Like, how do you get someone to understand who they are? Because like, even as a nutrition coach, I often say that, like, where are you right now? Cause you mm-hmm. know, like when we want to help them change, like I will say like your byproduct of choices you've been making, like you mm-hmm. didn't just wake up today overweight or frustrated or have a poor relationship with food. So when you ask somebody to, you know, like explain where, who you are right now mm-hmm. and where you want to be, how, what does that framework framework look like? Yeah. So the two things that I think give us the biggest clues of who we are right now and who we want to be are our values and our daily behaviors. And so one of the things I encourage people to look at, I encourage them to actually start with their behaviors. And I think I had you do this, Mm -hmm. but you need to task track or time track. You need to write down everything you're doing and you need to cultivate an awareness about what am I spending my time on? Am I spending my time scrolling? Am I spending my time working? Am I spending my time walking? Like minute by minute in my day, what is actually going on and what are the habits, unconscious or conscious, that are creating my my daily life. And then I ask people, what does your behavior indicate that you value? And what do you want to value? What do you feel like you value? Because a lot of people, when they look at their behavior, they see that they're scrolling instead of spending time with their partner. They are working extra instead of getting that run in. And so they want to be a person who's athletic. They want to be a person who's healthy. They want to be a person who's present and intentional, but their behavior isn't getting them there. And so that's where we can transition into this future focused framework. And we can ask them, okay, the version of you, you 2.0 is what I call it. You 2.0, who is active, 
what are her daily habits? What is she doing on a regular basis? And so we can actually make that switch by shifting little pieces of our routine and our day time after time. And by shifting the framework that we, we, we make decisions from into one that's more based on our values. So when you have 30 minutes after work and you're asking yourself, do I sit on the couch or do, do I go for a run? You think about the person you're becoming and that helps you move towards that choice. Right. Whereas some people will often be just like, I just want to be 10 pounds lighter, or I just want to stop scrolling. They don't real, they, they don't recognize that person has to, you have to develop into that person. It's yeah. one of the things that I talk about a lot when, um, when I'm coaching clients too, because they will, they will, they'll, they'll be stuck with that whole mindset of like, I just want to lose, or I just want to do like, just, 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 mm-hmm. but they have a difficult time understanding that if they no longer want to be somebody who often overeats on the weekends, they have to learn what that person's life would be like, or like, I know we've used mental contrasting as part of it, like where you can take those action steps and you can kind of break them down. But like when I'm asked how I navigate or where, where, how I got to where I am specifically with nutrition Mm -hmm. and exercise, because I don't think about it. I just do is because I do identify as somebody who enjoys exercise, who likes to, you know, and so I know what that looks like and how that feels. Mm-hmm. It didn't, I didn't wake up feeling that way though. There were, yeah. and there's still days, people believe me there. I mean, the last couple of days I haven't been feeling hundred percent. I'm just like, oh, I gotta go to the gym, you know, like that kind of thing, or I have to eat today type of scenario. But for in most cases, so those types of scenarios because of who I am and who I believe I am, it makes it way easier. Right. But like when I, when I ask somebody like, Hey, listen, like if you don't want to be someone who wants to overeat on the weekend, what would that person do? Yeah. What are their behaviors where, you know, and do we reverse engineer that Karen though, if we can somewhat get to that point of like, okay, well, I know somebody who doesn't overeat on the weekend, they likely probably eat a little bit better throughout the week. Do we reverse engineer it? Is that a method we could use or So you can reverse engineer it, right? I like to have people focus on what are one or two behaviors you want to adopt rather than behaviors you want to avoid, right? I want to use approach goals versus avoidance goals. But the other thing that I like to remind people in this discussion is that in order for your life to be different, you have to violate your own expectations and you have to violate others' expectations of you. And that is the reason why people don't change because they want to stay consistent. They want to go to the barbecue and eat the way they've always eaten so that no one makes a comment about it and eat the way their whole family eats so that no one makes a comment about it. And so I think when we talk about change, it's like in order to change, you have to do something differently. And that seems really obvious, but when you really think about it, If you're walking into your day, you're walking into a new situation, ask yourself, what is my default here? What is my default behavior? What are my instincts driving me to do? And if you think hypothetically, if I were the self, the version of me that was 10 pounds lighter, what does that, what decision does she make and what values does she hold true in this scenario? Gosh. And it's so hard because it's, it, I know that it's difficult and this is, what's going to bring me to this next question, because, um, I, I would like to understand this a little bit better because I, I do have clients that will say like, well, I've experienced in my past and this is what's led me to be where I'm at. That's their belief. So an example, and I'm just going to use the word trauma and you can kind of like go through, cause I know you've, you've talked about this and stuff like that. And you, you, you do understand what I'm asking. So something like no matter what that trauma is, and I couldn't imagine what it could be, but 
when someone says to me, well, I've experienced trauma in my life and I behave the way I do with food or I behave the way I do with whatever this is, um, how does trauma impact behavior change when we are trying to change, you yeah. know, um, because like, it doesn't make it more difficult. Is this something that people, is there a different path that they have to take? Is this a different buying process, that kind of thing? Yeah. So all behavior can be categorized as either maladaptive, meaning unhelpful or adaptive, meaning helpful. And so if you've gone through a lot, right, and trauma is technically out of my scope of practice, so I want to be careful about the conversation here. But if you have gone through trauma, if you have even gone through sort of like lowercase t trauma, like, you know, the, the type of thing, and we all have sort of childhood experiences. Yeah, like I here, before you go for any further, I guess what I want to say by that is like when I think that's people use it as a, it's kind of like mindset, that word. So mm-hmm. I don't know what trauma means. Like, that's why I'm, I thought I would ask, like, cause people do use it. Like when I hear feedback, I think it's just kind of like that almost. And I don't want to make that sound like it's, we're just like, okay, trauma is not a big deal. Cause it is, yeah. but I do get that word utilized. Well, I've experienced trauma in my life. Okay. But what is that? Yeah. And, and there are different types of trauma and I don't want to go into that. Cause I'm just, okay. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Not qualified to yeah. talk about it. Right. Yeah. Um, but with any kind of trauma that you've experienced in your life, you've probably adopted behaviors that helped. Right. And they may be something that seems unhelpful now. Right. So at one point they were adaptive and now they have become maladaptive. Right. right. So for example, if you were, um, food insecure as a, as a child, if you were in a, in a home that didn't have a lot of food available, it might have been adaptive, helpful for you to store and hoard and overeat when you had access to food, Ah, right? Because in that moment, that's helpful. But now later on in life, if you are in a food secure place, your body and your brain are still driving you towards that pattern because it was a pattern that was helpful for you. And now it is maladaptive. Now it is unhelpful. And so there are two things we need to do. Number one, you need to work with a mental health therapist before you embark in behavior change. Because if you are, it's sort of like how you would want to work with a physical therapist before you would hire a personal trainer. Like you need to get to a place where your brain is moving functionally before we can embark in those changes, right? But there are people who have been through massive amounts of trauma who successfully engage in behavior change. Like behavior change is not impossible by any means for people who have been through trauma. Compassion first change is in fact about recognizing how were these patterns adaptive for me once? How were they benefiting me once? Recognizing that like giving ourselves compassion for that, like this isn't a willpower issue. This isn't a, you know, a just do something else issue. Like I have a really deep reason that mm-hmm. I mean towards this behavior. And then sort of giving ourselves a new sense of safety with the new behavior. Because once we understand why the behavior, we're being so driven towards it, even though it's unhelpful now, then we can start to give ourselves a sense of safety and kind of unravel that. I love that because the one thing that I caught in there and I heard it all, but the one thing I heard you say is like, it's not impossible though. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what the circumstance is, I I think this is true for a lot of things is like, if we're willing to work and understand, maybe uncover, you know, create that awareness, you know, we will understand what needs changing or what our behaviors were like, because I think in just, this is just my experience from working with um, so many uh, women over the past, I don't know, seems like forever years 
is that a lot of them don't truly see the patterns because they don't take the time now. And, and I guess this would be something that, I mean, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but is that an ownership thing? Is that a pride thing? Is that a shame thing where they don't want to do that work per se no, to understand their behaviors? It is, it is just a human thing. It is okay. really hard to objectively see our own behaviors, which is one of the reasons why, um, you want to work with a coach or you want an outside observer. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's sort of like the, um, if you've ever seen those images of, it's like an old woman and a young lady, and it's the same picture, but you see one or the other. And then someone has to like, be like, this is where the young woman is. And then all right. of a sudden see the young woman, you would never be able to find it yourself because your brain has already decided what it sees. And so having a coach come in is kind of having that external perspective to say like, oh, this is the nose and this is the ear. And then you're able to see the pattern. So it's not, I don't think it comes from a place of avoidance or stubbornness or uncertainty or any of that. It's just really hard to be objective about our own behavior. Um, and so that's why we need a coach and that's why we need data and tracking. Sometimes now, now, now that I've heard that now, I have to sometimes like, oh, question what I say. Cause when I, I say own your shit. Mm -hmm. And like, that's kind of being a little harsh. Hey, maybe I shouldn't be so harsh. I should have a little bit more compassion because <laughs> I want people to understand that. Like, do you know, what can I give you an example? Like somebody who says they're not progressing, they just say generally, well, I'm not seeing the progress. And yet I'll be like, okay, so let's talk about this. Like, let's reflect. Where did you do well? You know, where do you think you need to make these improvements? And they don't want to talk about the things that they didn't do so well, because that would be an admission of the fact that they didn't follow through. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm just like, own it. You know what I mean? Like, that's my brain saying, how do you not understand this? Like, I see it. How do you not see it? Right. And I think that's where, I guess, from a coach perspective, we can get frustrated because we want to help so much, but we don't want to tell you what to do. Or, you know, I don't want to give you all the, you know, the, I don't know, all the answers, but I don't know. I probably shouldn't be so harsh and you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to say anything, but I'm just like, now I'm thinking maybe I should be like, okay, let's talk about this a little bit more. <laughs> Well, I think what you're really getting at is from what it sounds like is that sometimes people are unwilling to recognize their own success, yeah. right? And so then we aren't learning from our own success. And I think we need to recognize that owning your success could have been maladaptive at some point in their life, right? Yeah. And so there's a really, really strong reason why a lot of people have trouble owning their success because when they did as a young child, it got them in trouble and they were accused of bragging or they were socially yeah. isolated or like whatever. And so, especially as women, it's often really hard for us to brag about ourselves or not even brag. Like the word brag is so, mm. like, there's such a sexist tone to that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's really hard for us to recognize our own achievements because we have always been told, well, like, don't stick out. Don't like, don't be the number one person. Like it's safer in a girl group to not be that person. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that. And let's be clear. I don't tell you to own your shit. I just, <laughs> when I do social media content and stuff like that, I will say it like own it, like own your shit, you know, or figure shit out, whatever. Um, okay. So in your experience, mm -hmm what would be the most challenging behavior to change that you've seen, you know, working with dozens and dozens of people? Like, cause I know like you not, you work with Jen pub too, right? Like you've got people that come in, but you're also like, you've got some coaches in there. Like you worked with me. Um, what's that, that, that behavior that kind of stands out that most people have a difficult time with, would you say? 
Or I do don't think there is, there's not one specific behavior because oh, the degree okay. of di- the degree of difficulty, how difficult is a behavior is to change has nothing to do with the behavior itself. It has to do with how long you've been doing that, what purpose it's fulfilling for you. Um, like if there's social support around that particular behavior or not. So for example, it, and also like neurodiversity, Um, so I've had clients who their number one struggle in life is figuring out how to brush their teeth at night. And that's like a very, very real, never even think that. Yeah. And, and, and they have as much difficulty with that as someone else has with the behavior of like running 10 miles for their army test every other day. And it's like, those are both the same degree of difficulty for those people because it, the degree of difficulty is based on where they're at in their brain. It's kind of like, what is the most difficult weight to lift? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. It depends. You don't like, know. What lift is it? What muscles do you have? How long have you been training? What's your training like? Like there's all kinds of different factors that are going to. So it's an, it depends answer because like there is, there's no real, there's no right or wrong. It's an, it depends, which is great because you'll have, like you said, like on one hand, you have somebody who's like, okay, well, why can she change? But I can't. But that's where you have to dive into. But what's true about that? I can't though. And how do you know it's easy for this person? Like you don't understand their struggle and how many steps they've had to take or how long they've actually been on this behavior change, right? And that's kind of like the the conversation I try to have with clients is like, especially when they do that comparison of like, well, my girlfriend, how come she can lose all all the weight or she can change her behavior? She's she's got a better relationship with food. Like I have, I hear this all the time, and I'm like, but you don't understand the story. You actually don't know. I mean, you can ask, but maybe your struggles are way different than hers. Maybe there's parts of the, her behavior change that were so much easier and laid out for her. And she had a better path to take an easier path. Maybe she didn't experience some of the deep, dark, I don't know, intrinsic things that really like had power. Right. You know what I mean? Like that, that kind of thing. But I don't, from the outside looking in, I don't think people see that they just compare and say, well, I must, I'm a failure. I can't do it. Right. They don't understand that. So that's cool. And for me, it's like, let imagine I have like a Spanish neighbor and I'm asking myself, why is it so much easier for her to speak Spanish than me? Because Mm -hmm. she grew up speaking the language. Right. And we're all taught things at a young age from our parents and that influences. And that doesn't mean that I can't learn Spanish at all, but the better question for me to be asking or for anybody to be asking in that scenario is, from a place of curiosity instead of judgment, why can't I? What is the barrier? What am I struggling with? What are my real obstacles here? And once you take away that tone of judgment and replace it with a tone of curiosity, you can ask yourself basically the same question, exclude the social comparison part, but why, like, why can't I? Yeah. And maybe it's like, before we even judge, like, well, how come it's like, have I even considered trying? Because some people will just see it and be like, well, that must be nice. I could never do that. But you actually don't know because you haven't even laid the, the, the first card down to see what that means to, to, to embark change or to try something new. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. I, I, I just like, I like that answer that there's like, it depends because I, and I think that that's the question that came from Karen. She was really kind of interested in that. Um, specifically because we hear it a lot in our coaching is like, well, but my friend can do this. Why can't I? And they make that comparison and it must be, it's easier to change that than it is to do this. 
You know what I mean? But is it really? Well, it depends. It depends on how long you've been kind of stuck in that, that, that behavior, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're going to switch. We're going to switch gears here. Mm -hmm. Tis the season. We are the 25th of January as we're recording this. We're already three weeks into January. It's hard to believe. Motivation. We know it was all, it was talked about. We're like past the holiday, like kind of like, you know, um, new year's resolution. I'm motivated to get things done. Mm -hmm. Now we're into like, okay, so here I'm at week three. We don't know how this looks, but oh my gosh, spring is happening. So mm -hmm. I'm motivated to make some more changes. Um, I think like, I, I, I guess the question I have for you is like th this motivation and mm -hmm. I've talked a tiny, tiny bit about it, but I'd like to get your take on it because I, I believe that there's different ones. Mm -hmm. So like, we've got this like motivation coming from within, but then we're also influenced from the outside. And I'd like to know, like, I've heard you mention, and, and it's on your Instagram as well. Like you talked about controlled motivation and what that looks like. Can you explain all of this and what this actually means when we're like fired, you know, and we're ready to go? What, what are the chances of us, of us following through with different types of motivation? Yeah. Is that a great question? Does that? Yes. Does that sound yeah. right? Okay. So one of the things that I want to start off by saying is that you are always motivated. And that really shocks people because they're like, no, I'm not. Sometimes I'm totally unmotivated. No, 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 no. Whatever action you are taking in any given instance is motivated by something because as humans, we do not act without motivation. So if you're sitting on the couch, scrolling your phone, yes, you're not motivated to going to the gym, but you are motivated to be scrolling on your phone. And so that's a really important distinction to make because you need to always be asking yourself, what is creating the sense of motivation I have? What is motivating me to sit here and scroll? What is motivating me to choose that cupcake? What is motivating me to avoid my morning walk? What is the motivation behind the behavior I actually do? And so that is like the first step that's going to change your relationship with motivation is viewing it as something that you always have. It's just misdirected. Oh, it's I not love that. It's that, is so, that is such a golden nugget. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Step one. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's easier because it's easier mentally to redirect something mm -hmm. than it is to conjure something out of thin air that doesn't exist. Right. So the metaphor you're thinking, like your mindset around motivation is very important. Okay. So number two is that there are kind of two different categories, um, which you've talked about before, I know. And one of them is intrinsic versus extrinsic. And that is Am I motivated because of my enjoyment of this task, how I'm going to feel, what I'm going to experience is the motivation coming from, I, I genuinely want to do this. Like mm -hmm. I genuinely want to go for this walk because I know it's going to make me feel awesome. Or am I extrinsically motivated? Meaning I have to go for a walk because I have to check this box because I am on a challenge to beat my aunt Linda in our Fitbit challenge. And so that is an extrinsic motivator. I want to be really clear that extrinsic motivation is not bad by any means. And in some cases it can be really helpful, but if we're only and always relying on extrinsic motivation, if you're only losing the weight to get the gold star, if you're only losing the weight to put on the clothes and you're not enjoying the process, you're not building that intrinsic motivation, then you're intrinsic motivation won't exist. And so when the extrinsic motivator goes away, yeah, you're going to lose the behavior. And so we actually need both to be at play. Okay. And then the other categorization, which you've heard me talk about is autonomous 
versus controlled motivation. And that is essentially where is the motivation actually coming from? So autonomous is I am doing this because I want to and controlled is I am doing this because someone told me I should. I love how you broke that out because that it just, I I understand it, but like to, for the, I don't know, for the common folk, it's for, it's difficult for them to understand that. Mm -hmm. I love it. So where do we see the most success then? Yeah. So we see the most success with autonomous and intrinsic motivation. When you are acting in a way to find enjoyment, internal enjoyment, right? Because you want to. So I have decided I want to eat a ton of vegetables in 2023. And so I am going to make this broccoli today because I love this broccoli recipe. Rather than I told my coach or my coach challenged me to eat 800 grams of vegetables. So I have to shove this broccoli in my mouth. That behavior is not going to last. That broccoli recipe that's covered in garlic that you actually love, that behavior is going to be sustainable years and years and years into the future because the extrinsic, my coach, my challenge, this check mark, that's going to go away. But the intrinsic motivation is not. Can we start with external and end with uh, intrinsic? So yes, but you need to be conscious about building the intrinsic along the way. So I worked with a client once, and I love to tell this story who was in the military and she had a running fitness test coming up that she had to pass. Like you cannot get any more extrinsic motivation that I'm in the army. This is my job and I'm required to run this distance at this time. Okay. Problem. She hated running. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Right. And so no matter what she came to me because she was like, I cannot get myself to run. I have the most extrinsic accountability that you would ever have. And I still cannot get myself to run. She could get herself to run occasionally when she got really scared of losing that that job, that position that she was going for. And so what we did was we focus on building the intrinsic motivation. So she went for a run and I told her, I just want you to think about one happy moment on the run. Like I want you to identify one pretty bird. I want you to take one breath outside in the fresh air and say, wow, this feels good. And so she did that. And then she went on another run and we talked about reframing the way she thinks of like heavy breathing as like, I'm going to die to I'm improving my fitness. Like this heavy breathing means that my muscles are getting tons of oxygen, that my heart is getting worked. Like, so we reframed her understanding of breathing. And then we talked about distance. And so slowly we bit by bit, 1% by 1% over a period of three months and a lot of coaching worked her into a place where she actually did enjoy running and she passed Mm -hmm. her fitness test. And the best part was that six months later, she DM'd me on Instagram and she was like, Karin, you wouldn't believe it. I was so stressed out today. And I thought to myself, all I want to do is go for a run. And she did. See, that's amazing. So, okay. So you accomplish a task. It's come from an internal place of just everything. Like it's, it's supporting your personal values and everything. What happens if that changes? What do you mean? So what happens if that person realizes that they really actually don't love to run anymore? Does that change how they behave around that? Have you seen that? Like, cause like for an example, I used to think that I, I used to think mm-hmm. that I loved to do a lot of 
cardio because my brain would say, this is so beneficial for me. Mm -hmm. But I realized after beating myself to the ground of doing so much of it, that I actually didn't enjoy it. That I was like, I had to think about this. Like I was actually doing this for a different purpose. It wasn't a love. So when you see that happen, how do we approach that? Because that to me would be something where someone might not rely on that, that motivation anymore. Then we're like, Oh, that, but that internal cue lied to me. I actually don't love it. So what do we do in that case? So I, I'm really interested in your like wording here, because what you're saying is that what you want in life and what you enjoy is completely outside of you as if you cannot learn to like something or choose to mm. like something or choose to dislike something or learn to dislike something right but your desires are always fluctuating based right. on what input you give them so if you are if you come up with this broccoli recipe that you love and then you eat it every single meal of every single day and you start to think to yourself, oh, I don't want this again, but I have to have it. Then you're going to all of a sudden, you're not going to like it anymore because you chose to not like it anymore. You behaved in that direction. And so yeah. I think, yes, there are some internal preferences that we may lean one way or the other, but a lot of people give away their power completely. They're like, well, I don't like that. And it's like, well, have you tried liking it? Have you chosen to like it? Have you learned to like it? Um, and the more that we take ownership of that and radical responsibility there, then we're going to be able to say, what do I need to like in order to be the person I want to be? And what can I let go? Like if, if this, if my desire for this thing is fading away, does it match with my values and my vision for my life to let go of that? And if it does, then great. I love that. And I liked how you, how you brought that into perspective about the wording, right? Because that, and that would be a question I have for you is like, do you feel that the power of the word is, is important though? Like choosing that narrative. So like, I want to versus I need to, Yes, I feel like, and I learned this through my, in my early years of PN, when I was going through their PN level two, where they talked about client centered coaching and listening to the client and all this kind of stuff and the words they were using and how should goals don't follow through and that behavior doesn't, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I, uh, yeah, I guess that's the question is like, does that narrative or those, that word, those words you use matter? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Because your brain is always listening to itself. And so one of the things that I love to ask people is if you were to record yourself for a day, you were to record every word that you said, what percentage of it would be neutral or positive and what percentage of it would be negative? And I want you to imagine that you're listening to a podcast all day long and the person on the podcast is only saying negative things, is only complaining. Would that affect your mood? Yes. Ma'am, you are your own podcast. You're, you are listening to yourself all the time. You are listening to your thoughts all the time. And yes, our brains have a negativity bias. Our brains are going to drive us in a negative direction. But if that shit is always coming out your mouth, it's looping back around. It's reinforcing your perceptions of how your day is going. And it's strengthening that negativity bias. So in our brain, there's something called priming, which means that our memories and our beliefs influence the way that we see the world, which is why when you buy a red car, all of a sudden you see 800 more red cars yeah. on the world. So if you're telling yourself all the time, my life is shitty, my situation is impossible, I'm never going to change, you're going to see evidence that reinforces that belief because that is what you are telling your brain to pay attention to. God, that's so powerful. That is so powerful. The thoughts, we can have thoughts 
but I think it's the narrative. Like when we speak, it, it comes into our life. And I hear that a lot too. Like we're, you know, you hear it. I can't, I can't. And therefore you don't, or even this, and maybe, and I don't know if this is in your realm, but like, it's the person who continuously says, well, I'm just going to be fat forever. Okay. Well then if that's what you say to yourself, you will believe that. Right. In my opinion, like that's like, if I told myself that every single day, if I, if I told myself you are, you are not a bodybuilder or you are not a strength trainer, I'm going to stop going to the gym. Mm -hmm. If I'm a runner, I might start doing, oh, I believe in it. And I start telling myself I can run. I love running. This is great. This is part of me. I'm going to start to become somebody who identifies as somebody who enjoys running. Right. Okay. I love that. I love that. The the narrative. It's it's so powerful. Okay. Do you have anything else to add? One more, one more thing on that. It's a little bit like method acting. So I I will be just like straight up with you. When I was in college, I was in a place where a hundred percent of what was coming out of my mouth was negative. And some of that was mental health issues that I needed to address with a therapist. And I did that. And that helped a lot. Right. Yeah. But then I got to a point where I realized because I was really irritated with someone else in my life. I was complaining about her to, to my friend. And I was like, she always is like negative about everything. And my friend's like, well, you're like that too. And I was like, <laughs> like my brain exploded. I got in a huge fight with her. Cause I didn't want to hear that. Like it was this big, massive thing, but I started to question. And I was like, wow, I really do spend 99% of my time complaining and saying that my life is the worst and focusing on what's going wrong and, and talking about how I can't change. And so what I did was I basically was like, what if I act as if I am the person I want to be. And I talk as if, and it felt fake. And for our clients that do it, that experience experiment with it, it does feel fake. It does feel fake, or it feels like a different version of you to choose not to complain about your coworker or or to choose to say, oh, I actually eat a lot of vegetables, right? Mm -hmm. It feels like lying. It feels like fake. It feels like method acting. But the only way that you become a different person is you have to pretend to be that person first. It is fake until it is real. But that's okay because that that's the route we have to take. And that's okay. It's like learning. We're just teaching ourselves something, right? Okay. So you talked a little bit about like before I go, because I want to talk about willpower discipline. Um, But before we do that, the environment. So if we are talking negatively about ourselves, it's not true though. Then if we are around people who are, like you said, a negative friend or always talking, I don't know, whatever negative aspects of life or just they're the smoker the drinker the whole like is are those not learned behaviors that we start to become like can become part of our own life yeah so i think there's two things here one is that our environments and the social support around us does make a big difference on how we act and how we think and so if someone is in a position where you're able to change some of those environments or even opt into a new environment that's going to kind of offset, that can be really helpful. So that's why people's lives and experiences drastically change if they like join a new gym or switch jobs or move or leave a partner or whatever. Like sometimes it takes you getting out of the environment that's cultivating your current self for you to switch into a new version of you, right? At the same time though, um, I like to describe it as like, if you've ever been to a water park with a lazy river, yes, relationship with your environment is kind of like standing still in a lazy river. So the best 
way I can describe this is like diet culture, right? Like we mm-hmm. live in a world that tells us that skinnier is always better. And I can stand there in the lazy river and I can feel the current. I can acknowledge that there's pressure for me to think that there's pressure for me to believe that I might be like influenced, hit by messages every single day that are going to push me in one direction, but I do not have to float in the lazy river. I can put my feet on the bottom of the river and stand still. And so I think it's about the cognitive skill of I can feel the pressure to be negative. I can feel the pressure to eat in a certain way at the barbecue. I can feel the pressure from my family not to change. And I can stand still. Love that. Holy man. So that's that actually helps go into the next segment of willpower versus discipline. Then I don't like either of the words. I hear it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, and I would I'm gonna take the side of like coaches. So like I hear I I do hear coaches say you need to have more willpower. And I think about this, I'm like, mm, no, that's not the word I would use. And then on the flip side, because people have used it and described me, you have so much discipline, Brandy, mm-hmm. or you have to have discipline. How do these two wor- these wor- uh, words play in our society as this gen in behavior, but also specifically more in that nutrition slash get shit done, fitness guru type of scenario? Yeah. So when you think about it, willpower and discipline are both really describing culturally, this is the cultural definition, right? They're both really describing the same phenomenon, which is your ability to choose an action or a food, or make a decision that maybe there are other circumstances that would make that hard, right? Your ability to engage in behaviors in difficult circumstances is what people associate as willpower. And discipline is what people associate as your ability to do that long-term, okay? Mm -hmm. Here's what the research says. The research says that our ability to self-regulate, self-regulation is a feature of our brain where we are directing our behavior. It's goal-oriented behavior direction is what self-regulation means, right? So when I get up in the morning and I don't want to get up, but I still do, that is my self-regulation skills at work, okay? Self-regulation is a byproduct of mental skills, It is your ability to hear your own internal monologue, be compassionate to yourself, identify what thoughts are going through your head, recognize the pros and cons, be cognitively flexible, have a high amount of awareness, problem solve, plan. All of those things culminate together into a world where you can direct your behavior effectively, even in difficult situations. So discipline is not a skill in itself. It is the culmination of a variety of mental skills. And it is those mental skills that we need to actually focus on growing. Does that make so sense? can we describe discipline as self-control or no? I don't think so because okay. your self-control is your ability in, in a specific circumstance to act in a specific way. But the way we describe discipline is your ability to do that often, frequently across multiple situations, right? And while you might be able to white knuckle yourself into making a certain decision, that's gonna deplete your cognitive resources and it's not the way you wanna do it. 
But while you might be able to exert self-control in one specific situation, if you don't have the mental skills, you're not going to be able to use that all the time. So it's essentially like you need to learn your own brain better. You need to learn how to be aware of your thoughts. You need to learn how to listen to your monologue. You need to learn how to distance yourself and treat your thoughts as thoughts and not truths. You need to learn how to direct your own motivation, how to be aware of your feelings. Like there are all of these very basic mental skills that no one ever talks about. Mm -hmm. And the people who we see who are disciplined usually had childhood or experiences in their life that taught them those mental skills. So they might not even know those are mental skills they're using, but that's actually what's happening neurologically. Do you know how I use the word, like when I think about myself and, and the, the, the word discipline, I used to use, so used to use it a lot when I was competing because I'd be like, people would say, you're so disciplined with your diet. I'm like, yeah, true. And now I can say, if somebody asked me to diet tomorrow, I said, I, I would, I could, Mm -hmm. but I think that's because I have evidence, not because I'm disciplined. I have evidence that I can do hard things. I have evidence that I can follow through with that. Do I want to do it? No, but could I do it? Yes, because I have practiced that skill. I practice that skill by making the decisions, you know, daily actions, right? Like I reinforce that those skills take, like when we talk about skills, it's like Olympic lifting or powerlifting. You don't just get, you don't wake up stronger. You don't know how to snatch one day versus a clean and jerk. You gotta, you gotta work on it. Even a deadlift for gosh, like it's just taking a barbell up. No, it's not. Not if you want to get really heavy, you know, this. You've done that work. And I even want to challenge what you just said here, because you're just like, I could do it because I've done it before. Right. And a lot of people are like, I can't do it. I've never done it before. Ah, So that's a dangerous thing to flip into is I can do this because I have evidence. You can do new things without any evidence that you've done them before. That is in fact, the definition of doing a new thing. And you've done new things all the time. Like, otherwise you would still be a baby. (laughs) Like you, you, you are capable of doing new things. But with that specifically, right, let's look at dieting. Let's say that tomorrow you went on a drastic bodybuilder cut, okay? You have planning skills. You would probably sit down tonight and order groceries and make sure that you had all the food that you need. And you would probably have, number two, self-awareness. You would know the types of foods that you were craving and you would have effective substitutes in place for those things. You would get up tomorrow morning and you would feel like you wanted your normal breakfast. So that's more awareness and emotional regulation. You might even identify that you were feeling anxious or sad or frustrated. And that was driving you towards having that normal breakfast instead of your new diet breakfast. But because you have the emotional awareness there, you're able to tap into your motivation and you're able to regulate that motivation and say, why might I be motivated to eat this new breakfast. So you do. And then you recognize that, oh, lunch is coming up and Instacart didn't bring the amount of fish that I needed. You anticipate obstacles. And so you're able to be flexible, even though you made a plan and you're able to say, you know what, since I don't have the amount of fish I need, I'm actually just going to substitute and eat these egg whites on top of the fish. So all of those things together at the end of the day, someone's like, wow, Brandy stuck to her diet. She's so disciplined. No, She's aware. She's cognitively flexible. She's cognitively diffused. She's controlling her environment. She's planning. All of those are the skills that create discipline. 
she just described exactly my thought pattern. Like it's so true, right? Like that's absolutely the steps, right? The one thing I, I, the one thing I wouldn't do either is I wouldn't dwell on the fact that I'm dieting. A lot of people do that. They just focus on what they can't have anymore. And like, oh, this is going to suck. Like they have that narrative. And I'm like, whoa, we need to pump the brakes on that conversation. This is a moment in time. It's temporary. Like that conversation has to be had, right? Um, But it's not something I'm going to do anytime soon. That's for sure. I promised myself I'd never die again. And that's the road I'm on, which, hey, I can say this. So that promise I made to myself, I've identified myself as someone who never wants to die again. I believe, Karen, that is why my journey of maintenance and being the person I am today as a coach and everything is why it's it seems easy, yet I know I have things in play. Like, I, I, I'm very aware of the food I put in my mouth and the things I do on a regular basis. I know when I'm scrolling so much. I never knew that before until I worked with you how much I scrolled. Um, time, time, time tracking. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I have that built into me now, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, like, that's, that's just part of that behavior change, right? That model. Okay. So we know we can change the narrative. We can, we can take action. So the question I have for you, and this is kind of like bringing us to a close here, what tools, um, should a person have, or what, what are the things, the strategies that can bring about behavior change? If like, I mean, I always say create awareness, but do we, I mean, there's some bit, you already kind of talked about a few things, but what are some basic steps, like one or two or three or whatever? Yeah. So this is kind of a tricky question because it's sort of like, how do I work out to get the body I want? It's like, well, what does the body you want look like? And what are you working on right now? And like, what are the obstacles? So it's another one of those, like, it depends question. And this is like, this is my entire business, right? Is teaching people how to change. Um, But I would say if I were to pick three that I think people need to work on the most, number one, is going to be mental awareness, hearing your own internal monologue or recognizing your own thoughts. If you're not a person who has much of a monologue, right? Being aware of that on a regular basis. Number two, discomfort tolerance. So not expecting yourself to be happy all the time, understanding that you can be uncomfortable. You can be sad. You can be angry. You can be frustrated. Like all of those emotions are allowed. Okay. And then number three would be cognitive diffusion, which is recognizing that your thoughts are optional. You don't have to believe them and you can control them and move them in a direction that's more helpful to you. Those are, yeah, I mean, game changers right there. Boom. Like three of them, simple, easy to understand too. Can I ask you a personal question though, in terms of like where you are? Like, I know that you, you talked a little bit about like um, mental health and stuff like that. Was there any ever a time in your business that you felt like that would stop you from being able to do what you do like mental health you know, yeah like the worry that the judgment of okay well you know like how how can she talk about change behavior if, if she herself is going through it? it's kind of like the the person who doesn't look the part as a coach how mm-hmm. could they talk about it you know what I mean have you ever experienced that or did those negative thoughts ever come through your your head about like am I capable of doing this if I'm struggling myself yeah or I have mean, been I- struggling <laughs> yeah, I, I got this question recently um, from a client who was like, basically like, Karin, how do you exist? Like, how do you not perpetually judge yourself for knowing what you know and not always? That's such a great question though. Yeah. yeah. And the answer is that like, 
I'm not going to lie and say that there aren't moments where I'm really frustrated and there aren't moments where I'm like, why the heck can I get this? And there aren't moments where I'm like, I should be able to do this based on everything I know. But self-compassion isn't a place you live. It's a place you return to. And so in those moments, I can return back to the idea of like, I'm frustrated and that's okay. I'm judging myself right now. And that doesn't mean it's truth. And so it's really about, again, working towards what do I want to believe and what I want to believe and what I do believe, what I decided to believe at the beginning of my business was that my struggle with this stuff is what makes me so good. I believe that what I have been through and my ability to to talk about that experience with such rich, vivid detail. If you've never struggled with controlling your own behavior, you will not be able to write about it the way I can because I have I have literally been there. I have lived in the city you live in and I have lived in the city my clients live in in terms of their own journey. And so I think people ask me all the time, like, how did your business grow so fast? And I think it grew so fast because... I was vulnerable and I have been in that place. And sometimes I am in that place and I talk transparently about that experience. Yeah, I love that about you. And that's probably one of the things that drew me to you when we first met. And I think that that's, it still holds true to me. Like people often too, like, cause I don't have like the tens of thousands of followers, but they're just like, they'll ask me like, how are you still here? Like, how have you not quit? How have you like, you know, where's that growth come from? And I'm like, my experience like I, I've gone through what I talk about. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, Karen, is that as I continue to coach, when we talk about things like trauma, it's not trauma for me. It's realizations of I went through that and I never talked about it. Mm-hmm. And now I am. And even my husband's like, you, you felt that way about yourself. I'm like, I'm a pretty good liar, aren't I? And that's like, you know what I mean? Cause I didn't want to admit that I was struggling so hard. And I just talked to, to Karen about this, like, cause I'm often asked too, like, how did you change your behavior with uh, your relationship with food and all that kind of stuff? And I'm like, for a while there, I thought there were a few things that were obvious, but it's really come to light for me that it was like, oh, I changed my behavior or my thoughts around how I looked mm-hmm. um, and how I responded to that because I used exercise. It wasn't food exercise. That's why I can work out the way I do. I don't abuse it now, but I used to for sure. Um, but those are the things. And so I've lived those experiences. And so I feel like I can share them. And I think that that's what makes you so valuable too in this space, because like I've kind of alluded before mindset, those words, behavior change, like we see it a lot. I talk about it and I'm not even the expert, but I've learned so much from you. I believe I can talk about it. Um, but not at the same level, but I appreciate you for being in this space because that's what's making things happen for a lot of people is understanding and those stories, right? So um, thank you for that. I appreciate it so much. So is there anything else, any other like, I don't know, bright spots, golden nuggets that you want to leave for anybody? Um, I'll leave you with one, one golden nugget. So one of the things that um, I do is I do announcements for our clients every week and I try to give them like a new tidbit or something that I'm working through. Um, And the tidbit that I left for them this week is I have been thinking of um, arriving at where I need to be before the resistance gets there. 
So if I need to go to the gym, I try to do it in the morning before the resistance to the gym grows to the point where it stops me. So I use the metaphor of like, I used to live with a really horrible roommate. There was one parking spot in front of our house and I would always leave work early so that I could get that parking spot. And that's how I think of it now. When I start my day, I'm like, what is the thing that I'm resisting the most? And how can I get to the parking spot where it's done before the resistance gets there? That's Um, so valuable. So that's a fun thing for you to think about. Okay. So now that you've said that, where can people find you and what's this all about too? Can you explain those? Cause I know what you're talking about in terms of like the announcements and what you're doing. So can you, yeah, where's, where can they find you and what can they look for? Yes. So, um, you can find me at Karin Nordeen PhD, and you're also going to want to follow at body brain Alliance, because that's where actually the majority of our educational content is being housed now, along with all of the like information and good stuff. My account is becoming more of just like a personal account now. Um, so those things, bodybrainalliance.com is our website. And the place I would suggest starting is just getting on my email list because every single week I release a brand new video that is a nugget, a behavior change, mini training, three tips for this. Like it's, it's like a, a five minute mini video educational training, um, that I send out to my list every single week. So that is where you're going to want to start. And if you really are looking to like jump right in, I would suggest Change Academy. So Change Academy is $35 a month and you get access to a two hour science packed live workshop with me. You get resources to help you implement what's inside of the Academy. Um, and there's like a support group and things like that. So that is where the majority of people start with us. Well, I'll tell you three times a charm. So you were on here twice before. This is the third one. This was probably my favorite recording. I think I, because here's the thing too. I, I gave my gave myself a little bit of an agenda this time. I wanted to make sure I caught a, a lot of these questions. So I want to thank you for being here. You're one of my favorite people to interview because you're real. And the thing is, is that she's so young and beautiful and she's like just starting in this business. You guys, she has, this is going to be huge for you. So I'm super proud of you. Proud to have been one of your clients, maybe a future client again. Um, so I just, you know, super, super, um, stoked to have you here. So thank you so much. And that's it guys. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. And don't forget to tag me at motivate and be fit and follow or subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. And please don't forget to leave a review on Apple podcasts. This allows the podcast to grow while helping more people figure their shit out. Chat to you next week.